from the trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boy from SQL CFO. Joined with me is Paul Meisner from Freedom Mentoring. We are brought to you by BGL, Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software. And we are brought to you on a brand new microphone, Paul Meisner. Uh, hello, listeners. Hello, all. Thank you, David. Uh, good to be back. We did a, a, the remote recording. Good to be back in the same room. I recovered from the snow. I had to dig the car out from a meter of snow, which was quite interesting. Uh, but good to be back in the well, whatever we call the studio. But it's labour there for you. But it was good. It was a good workout. Don't mm. get much of that anymore. Anyway, uh, looking forward to a great show. Let's kick it off, David. Um, what do you got? Uh, best on ground for me, Paul Meisner, as I have a quick break between my BGL RegTech responsibilities off to Adelaide tonight. Uh, great article on entrepreneur.com. Is your accountant a wimp? Why your accountant actually wants you to pay more taxes is the byline. It's a really interesting article because it talks about a lot of the points you make about being a compliance-based accountant um, and, and really digs into the psyche of accounting. Essentially, it has a premise that there is always a better way to pay less tax. You can always do more research. You can always find more, I don't know, private biting ruling that that, that sums up your client's situation. You can keep doing structuring work. You can keep studying more and more, and you can keep finding ways to reduce tax for your clients. The problem is many accountants will often use the phrase, it feels too aggressive. That's a quote from the article. And so the question is, if accountants are such technical-based people, why do we keep saying it feels? Shouldn't we be making fact-based advice? And the contention is that you are, and this is American-based, it talks about the IRS, but it's relevant. For and it talks about a little bit bigger firms, I think, they've talked about. It, it is bigger, bigger businesses as well, yeah, as well, yeah where you've, you do have more stuff that you can do. Um, it basically says that you're so busy just keeping up with tax filings You don't have the time to do the personal education you need to actually find out what these strategies are, nor do you have the time to actually deliver the service to the client. So what does the professional do? Errs on the side of caution. It's interesting, David. I haven't had uh, this myself. I, I I tend to sort of walk the client through all the options. You know, especially in Australia, we're a little bit more in a self-assessment um, regime. I can certainly guide the the client in terms of, well, some people do this, here's the risks, here's the rewards, etc. cetera. Um, look, I, I think at the, at the bigger end with some of these absolute, uh, you know, the bigger issues, there perhaps is a bit more grey area or your the risks and the rewards are far greater. I think at the smaller end, the smaller firm end, there is a little bit more black and white in terms of in terms of what you can and what you can't claim. I don't think I've ever said um, if I've come up with the idea, I've always run it past the client. Uh, you know, I've never sort of shied away from something um, or, or not told the client. It's interesting. I want to read out the last paragraph of this and then give a specific case study something that happened in our business with one of our clients recently. Uh, the author says, so yes, your accountant is probably risk averse, but they have their reasons. This is why they fall back on how something feels when things start to seem risky to them, to us. The only problem is that in doing so, they ignore the feelings of the person that should matter most to them, their clients. We've got a client at the moment who is three years behind in Baz lodgements and has no substantiating documents. Harsh. Yeah. So we said, look, here's option one, two, and three. Option one is we claim everything. This is what you need to pay. Option two is we do a sort of cutoff and we say anything material 
we're, we're not we're, we're going to try to substantiate. And, and option three is we do nothing and you pay the full amount, which is you know, to the letter of the law. How much risk do you want to take on? And let them decide. And the problem is that they then say, well, what would you do if you were me? And then that, it that still is, comes back to my uh, uh, my risk appetite, not theirs. And that probably is the thing. I mean, I, I've never I've never not gone to a client because I, I've I've thought of something. If if I thought something could be achieved, I'd. I'd achieve it <laughs> in a way. Yeah. But no, I, I like that option too and like the client, it is difficult when it comes back to you. Uh, but anyway, what else? Um, now, you like to say there's no new technology, right? You fall on your sword a little bit on this though. I, no, no, no. Well, I, I, I don't see it as much as it's talked about. Uh, I'm on the BGL Roadshow at the moment. Uh, list, viewers who like use BGL are certainly invited to, well, Adelaide's tomorrow, Perth, the day after Melbourne next week. Ron Lesh gets on stage and does a demo for a project they've got called, I think it's called Project X. It's unnamed at the moment. Ooh. It's a completely new thing and it's cool. I'm not going to announce what it is yet because it's not it's not finished and it's not ready for market. They're looking for a name for it. But essentially it uses, you know, receipt bank-like technology for like complicated share purchase certificates that you can automatically post into CAS360. Um, sorry for uh, their super product, which name has escaped me. Anyway, the point is that it's been a long time since I've seen a tech demo that the crowd went, ooh, and just spontaneously went into a round of applause. And it was great to see. Now, the first time Ron, uh, Ron did it, we had no internet, so it didn't work properly. Not because the tech didn't work, we didn't have any internet. Never but worked with live as demos. As the MC, I had to jump up on stage and come up with what felt like three hours of content to entertain <laughs> the crowd while we worked out. It was the internet. It was just... but, but even after that, it was probably like a 10-minute delay. Even after that delay, while the crowd's just waiting, listening to me talk nonsense about how you know my career started it still got a round of applause and it was just like the good old days of the accounting tech demo felt like it was back and I really, really enjoyed it, Paul. I, I look forward to it. So, I mean, again, I, I haven't seen it. Uh, look forward to it. What a week uh, otherwise for BGL. They were ranked number five uh, in the AFR Boss Most Innovative Companies list. Zero came in at number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations there to Zero. And I haven't seen the list. I'm just going off what Twitter. So if I've left anyone else <laughs> off the list, it's not because I'm picking sides. It's they're the only two that have popped up in my Twitter feed. Look, a few people have said to me on on my tour, and it's great to go out and see some of the listeners and fans of the show that you know we, we flog BGL a bit too much. Um, the problem is that if you're a 30 year old tech company and you're still the fifth most innovative in Australia, you deserve to be spoken about. Uh, absolutely. I think that that certainly is. Can I also say another big week, uh, not that we're talking about BGL, uh, again, Daniel Tramontana got promoted to general manager uh, after all of his service. Or COO. Oh, COO then. Well, what, anyway, he got a promotion. It was GM. <laughs> was he? Oh, his Twitter account still says GM. Bravo, Trevor. Well done, Trevor. Whatever it is. Update your Twitter if I've got it wrong. <laughs> uh, very well done. Yeah. And, and what else? Is it? That leads, the promotion leads into... Retirement. Retirement. Uh, a icon of the Australian technology scene has retired. Tim Reid has stepped down, uh, will be stepping down as the CEO of MYOB, Paul. It's hard to describe the impact Tim and MYB has had on the Australian sector People, perhaps people new to the the scene will think that, you know, they're not necessarily the most loved product at the moment right now. I still believe that what they're producing has a big market in Australia. Um, 
but 19 years ago, 20 years ago when GST came in, it was Tim CEO then? He was there. Was he? Not sure. MYOB has had a massive impact on the Australian small business scene and it's been under Tim's leadership. He's been there for over 15 years. He's been there a very, very long time. Um, From the trenches extends a very proud farewell to Tim, Paul, and a big thank you for what you have done for our sector, our profession, uh, and small business in Australia of your journey. Um, A lot of rumours around what he's going to do next, Paul. Chairman of the BCA seems to be a very popular thing. Business Council of Australia. Oh, there you go. All right, no, and look, we were, David, we've said on the show, we were extremely impressed with our team. We were lucky enough to go and speak to their executive and, and meet him. Uh, he Did you know an I exceptionally found out impressive some people person. charge, we got invited to talk to an MYOB executive. They just wanted to pick our brains, we were told. Some people charge in the thousands for that service, Paul. We were so excited that we got to have an impact. They got us for a bottle of wine. What a cheap date we are, Paul. I was still trying to find the list. I wish they'd just pop. Why don't they just publish the list? Anyway, all good. What do you got, mate? Best on ground. Um, Yes, best on ground for me. John Kenfield, uh, who is, uh, for those people, family business advisor, an accountant who has spent the last, oh, I don't know, probably many, many years, 20 to 30 years, um, devoted to family businesses and specifically um, conflict within a family business. He's gone on uh, on uh, LinkedIn videos, uh, he posted videos, a 50-part series. I'm not sure it's a mini-series if it's got 50 parts. Anyway, <laughs> I joined in, uh, the one I found uh, the other day was... Uh, and this is 50 parts on the common causes of family conflict, especially in business. This one, video 21, about parents as bosses, um, nature versus nurture. Just he makes a really interesting – it's such great content for people who not only have um, – you know, I think these issues are as much part of dealing with, with family um, conflict as well as business conflict. But it's this concept that we um, – part of parenting is to give such a quality to each child whereas in business it's very much a performance based so you know uh, you, you i guess you spend all your upbringing trying to say well everything's equal and then you in business it, 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 you actually are working against in family you're trying to uh, it, it's a totally different mindset and especially when you're trying to do uh, have two people or have family members who are working and contributing in different ways, remunerating them in different ways or on a performance base, goes against a lot of teaching. He makes some great sense. Um, So, yeah, and anyone, uh, check out those videos. So relevant for uh, many accountants who chair family meetings, chair family business meetings, often end up having to settle political disputes, but maybe don't always have the skills. Some of us do it very well. Um, But I I do want to give a a bit of a plug here, Paul. I recently interviewed Sarah Pantaleo, who is uh, head of the Family Business Australian Victorian chapter for a new podcast that I've just released, Paul, called Backbone. What we're going to do is do a sample of that because Sarah talks about exactly this and how you need a balance between what the family needs as a family and the governance that a business needs. We're going to do an exit of that interview for From the Trenches listeners, so keep an ear out for that, Paul. You've just got the most innovative list up. 
Oh, they've broken it out into uh, they've broken it out into industries now. It was interesting that uh, Zero was the only sort of accounting tech company and BGL, obviously. Um, the rest weren't uh, yeah weren't, weren't in space. So I don't know where the others dropped off to. Uh, but anyway, let's keep moving. The what else have I got? Um, an, hot desking. An interesting article. Hot desking in, in hot water. I should write clickbait titles. You should. should. Uh, This is from the Australian Financial Review. The hidden hell of hot desking is much worse than you think. Look, I mean, I think it's kind of, it's just really interesting how depending on where you you sit on this, there was a, a... a senior lawyer that came out and said, oh, I need my office back. I'm not a battery hen. I think he he, he uh, associated being stuck out in the general population. It, it's really interesting, David. You and I both came from a co-working space where we, we did have an office, but, you know, built in a, in a co-working space. I think it can really, I think it can really work. And I think it's people... Not being able to hide, not being able to just sit in your office, close the door, and play solitaire. You know, I, I think it's it, it has this <laughs> Have to be Excel a, on your screen, but yeah, a little bit stats. Yeah, a little bit more, a little not bit more accountability. I, I, I think you need, I think you need a mix. I think you certainly need uh, enough breakout rooms, enough meeting rooms, enough quiet rooms, enough webinar rooms to be able to make it work. But I'd, certainly, it's an interesting article where some people just love to have a whinge about hot testing. Hot testing and co-working are different things, though, because if you're in a co-working space, your your business has a culture that it's co-working whereas hot desking it's usually like some people have desks and some people don't it's it's really obvious that it's a cost-cutting measure rather than a cultural thing that they're trying to do well some of the big firms i used to have friends who worked at big accounting firms and and sort of the the tech consulting firms and it was if you didn't get in there by 9 30 there just physically wasn't a desk for you like it was actually then had to go to a cafe um hey just another quick best i want to sneak in shay thyer who is I don't actually know what she does at BDO. It's cool stuff. But she's just come up on my LinkedIn as trending for hashtag human. Oh, there you go. Because she's hiring for a really interesting job at BDO. So I'm going to give it a plug because it's a really – it's crazy. So part of what Shay does is her role is to digitize BDO roughly. Is that fair? I think so. Yeah. Now, BDO, the fifth biggest accounting network in the country. So this is no David Boyer, Paul Meisner type business. This is serious stuff at the bigger end of town. Um, and she's looking for somebody whose job, uh, the title is Operations and Support Coordinator for National Business Services. But what you are going to end up doing is just look at best practice process and best practice efficiency across a massive network with a massive amount of clients. If you are an accounting tech nerd, this is a pretty good career option for you, Paul. But I'll be curious to see how many people there are like that actually out there. I think there's a lot of talkers and not many doers. Very interesting. Yes, absolutely. No, it was a good. Uh, it was a good job. And it's some interesting stuff going on uh, on out there at BDO. Um, ANZ, uh, another quick best on ground for me. I know. Well, gee, we're going long in the best. There's lots on this week. Um, ANZ have dumped bonuses for all employees, surprisingly, except for top executives, uh, and have just come out and acknowledged the damage that can be done when staff put profits before people. Um, I do know someone in the uh, HR type area of um, 
ANZ who has said that internally this has been such an upheaval in the way people are paid. I think uh, banks, you were, came from a bank, David, that uh, you know get, almost get hooked on the, the candy of the bonus. The, the golden handcuff, they call it. They pay you just enough that puts you above market so you can't leave. But to do that, you need to chase bonuses that... I can tell you, the bonus that I got in my best year, I reckon I ended up getting, in terms of cash, maybe 15, 20 cents in the dollar. Because yeah. it gets it gets postponed to the next year. It, it, a portion of it goes to shares. Big chunk goes to super because you're 10% super in the bank. And, and, and interesting, David, we often see in uh, either a couple of stories in the industry where you... And obviously, the Hain Royal Commission into Banking said that some of these, when when bonuses, it's it's the behaviour that it causes. Mm. Be it uh, support tickets, David, as you know, that whether or not you're uh, going to sh- close support tickets quicker rather than necessarily give the service, or um, certainly sell products or get people into loans. Anyway, I'm being told, being told from people inside ANZ, this is a massive change in the culture of the organisation in terms of people going, I uh, concern for their bonus. There is uh, comments in the article that uh, the the underlying wage will be increased because the bonuses are going. But interesting to see, it's probably one of the biggest cultural shifts in in the payments coming out of the Royal Commission now that we know that commission-based payments and independence is very important. Worst on ground. Da, da, da. There it is. There's the theme music. <laughs> From the trenches. Right, what do we what do we got? David, how did how have you gone? Give us a follow-up. <laughs> Give us a follow-up on your you, you, have you recovered from setting up a bank account? Well, you know, I I've got a bank account now, so that's good. It was rewarding when I saw some cash come into it. That made it all worthwhile, didn't it? But the saga continues in my account opening process, Paul. The I got uh, walked into the office the other day uh, to about five envelopes from Westpac. God, here we go, more paper, including a postcard size, basically a postcard from Westpac. I'll flip over the back. Now, remember, listeners, when I told the story, I said the banker was excellent. She'd been there 30 years. Yep. A handwritten note. Hey, David, so great to open this new account for you. I hope this that business venture goes really well. Again, here are my contact details if you need anything at all. I mentioned to her that, you know, we opened an account for my daughter and got a little bonus, like a $200 bonus at the time. Hope the family's going well, regards. And I, I, I had this, like... Isn't that nice? But oh my goodness, you were trying so hard to, to... It's like, what is it? Mutton dressed as lamb? You are so good. You are such a caring banker and you were just stuck with this crappy AML, legalized, risk-averse process. That process still needs to be disrupted, I can tell you. I feel like I've found a, a, a small business banker that I really want to go do more business with. She's really impressive. Yeah, she just needs to go work for a company that she isn't hamstrung by by checklists and AML requirements. But anyway, uh, shout out to her. That is good personal. Should we say her name, Paul. Uh, it's up to you. I don't. Nasmin Nisha, personal banker specialist at uh, Westpac on Kudang Road. If anyone there you go. in Melbourne's east needs a great banker, I've had a good experience. There. It is nice to have a personal touch. Uh, worst on ground for me, David. This. There is a um, a young the title of this is clients burnt by Airbnb hotshot Callum Forbes, mm. uh, a young Sydney entrepreneur who promised to take the burden 
off property owners and giving them an awesome experience in quotation marks. Basically wanted to be a uh, property manager for Airbnb, was young. Already sounds dodgy. You know, anyway, young and had had all had the proper had the proper pitch. Sales and marketing has ended up, um, you know, offering a hassle free service. Uh, has ended up owing property owners three point six million dollars <laughs> in rental Hell. payments oh uh, and more to other creditors. Hell. Now that the company has been put into the hands of an administrator, like this is the, these people. These people should just, you know, be be dealt with. And I I worry whether this is the culture of being entrepreneur. Oh, I was entrepreneurial, and other things happen. It wasn't my fault. No, it actually was your. Fault. It is a locked article. Unfortunately, I, I do. I'm reading on my I subscription, but basically just says he he's not commenting, and it's in administration. But you know, this is just part of this of this culture where it, it, it things that play out online are very different to what's happening in real life. And the success of people, uh, you know, oh, I'm entrepreneurial, and then you don't you don't often hear about it when it goes absolutely wrong, but basically it looks like uh, he's just done off with the money. No, being very sad. The, the purpose of being entrepreneurial is to find a new way to make a profit, Paul. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you hopefully you focus on... If, if you're not making profit, you do the responsible business decision, you shut it down, you pay everybody what they're owed, and you go to your new thing. And that way you keep your reputation in check. This, Sinclair, this person doesn't seem uh, to... Have, I Mr. Don't, Forbes, sorry. Mr. Mr. Forbes, Forbes, I don't think they're... Uh, they're uh, yeah, no. Nah, hopefully it doesn't come back any time soon. You got one more worst? I don't know what we're doing at the moment. I'll do my work. I've got a text message from the ATO on the weekend, uh, and it actually came up as being from the ATO. Now, I don't know about you, dear listeners, but I don't have the ATO saved in my uh, in my phone book. It doesn't just say ATO. Oh, yeah, I'll just call them up and, you know, Mr. ATO the answers. The uh, text message comes through saying, Hi, want to keep up to date with ATO and Super News? Join a million others. Subscribe. And the problem with it is it just looks scammy. You know, I've been sent from the ATO in this era of heightened awareness about ATO scam calls. This text message that comes from the ATO, which could just be, you know, Google's updated its new iOS and I, uh, its new operating system. I just get, you know, it tells me who the source is. Um, uh, it sends me to what looks like an actual government address, ato.gov.au. Um, it gives me a sample of what the website looks like on my Google Pixel 2. I've got an old phone. Um, and it says sender does not support replies. And I just thought, geez, this feels scammy. So I went to Twitter, Paul. I said, I don't know about this ATO. It feels like a scam. And guess what? They wrote back, Paul. So no, we assure you it's not a scam, but we take on the feedback. Thanks very much. And I just... Shout out to Ben. Ben's uh, the ATO uh, often on, it. on the Twitter. Very good, good reply. Do you have a there. relationship with the ATO social media guy? Do you? Oh, do we, we, we've, we've, we've broken bread, David. We've, we've had it. We've we've uh, we've met at, met at conferences. Big big do. shout out to Ben. Interesting though, David. That, that, and I didn't see this until you. Uh, I have often got text messages about lodgements. I've never seen this kind of information. This must be a change in the ATO. I haven't seen this kind of information come out in text messages. It does seem to me, and I've never uh, had it before. It's a tough gig for them, isn't it? I mean, they need to try to raise awareness within the business world around what they do, and then by, because people sort of hijack their communications, you don't trust real communications. Jeez, it's a tough game for them to play. 
It is it is hard. It is hard. But uh, anyway, no, good. Uh, second uh, worst on ground for me, Uber shares dive. is coming out of the Sydney Morning Herald. Uber shares dive as it posts a $7.7 billion loss. Um, <laughs> How much? $7.7 billion. With a B. Um, with a B. Goodness. Very interesting that there was a comment in here that said something about if it reported revenue growth slowed, um, the ride-sharing business, the ride-hailing business, grew by only 2% revenue. And if it wasn't for the 72% rise in Uber Eats revenue, overall it would have dropped. So revenue... Well, I like food more than I like getting from A to B. But, you know, it's interesting if you look at the trajectory... Actually, Uber Eats means that I need to go to A to B less... <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and it, it, it's just really interesting that you sort of think that if if you don't have that one fast growth unit, that is a that is an interesting story. And and, and Uber, ah, uh, how many times have accountants been told, you know, the Uber of everything is coming to get you? Well, frankly, if there's anyone who's trying to follow the Uber example yeah, in accounting, what, needs to needs the to get Uber, there. The Uber of talks about a service level, and the problem that Uber has is there's such low barriers to entry because they just ignored all the laws and then then went to governments and got laws in their favour so that all these other entrants can come in. So you can now have, like I was up in Brisbane last week and uh, Diddy have launched with 50% off fares, 50% off. All the talk in Brisbane for the week, like I know people who took Diddy rides that ordinarily would have driven just so they could get the value out of the deal. There was one point where uh, I went to the footy, I went to, the, the guy went to Footscray Brisbane and uh, my wife's cousin wanted to get a taxi there. He ended up having to wait 15 minutes for a driver because Diddy was so high. So they're just... And there's the Olver as well? Ovia? Something. They just kept coming. Anyway, but, it's... Either uh, way, it's not, all bad news for taxis, Not all mate. smooth sailing for Uber. That's it for us, Paul? That is it for us. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, listeners, love you hearing your feedback if you see us out and about. We've got ZeroCon coming up later this month. Next, next month. month. Early next month. Uh, we... Reach out if you've got any content or anything. See ya. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback, story ideas, Get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar.